Good to see you all again. Well, not all of you, but good to see some of you again, uh, and by face, and some of you by name. Um, we left off on the introduction. So last session, we were able to cover the foreword by Imam Zaid Shakir, Hafidhullah Ta'ala, as well as the preface by Chaplain Lina Safi, Hafidhullah, and we're on the introduction. So, introduction. Bismillah. Same principle applies for reading. If anyone would like to read, you can just put it in the um, the chat box, inshallah. Uh, and until then, I will take it from here. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Qala al-Mu'allifu hafidhahu Allahu ta'ala wa nafanu Allahu wa iyahu bi'ulumihi fi darain. Amin. Introduction. With the name of Allah, the merciful benefactor, the merciful redeemer. The praise and thanks belong to Allah, the sovereign, the truth, and the clarifier. I bear witness that there is nothing worthy of worship but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his slave servant and messenger, the keeper of his promise, the trustworthy. Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. O Allah, send prayers and peace upon our leader, Prophet, and Master Muhammad, and upon the family of our leader, Muhammad, the enjoiner of good, forbidder of wrong, the fountainhead of truth, and the son of the prophetic sacred law, and what follows. And what follows. Amma ba'd. Surely the best, uh, maybe that's not Amma ba'd, and what follows. Surely the best speech is the book of Allah, and the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad, and the worst of matters are newly invented matters. In the religion and every newly invented matter in the religion is a blameworthy innovation and every blameworthy innovation is misguidance and every misguidance is in the fire so this is kind of a standard introduction to uh, beginning a text Allah mighty and sublime revealed you are the best nation brought forth to humankind you enjoin the good forbid the wrong and believe in Allah kuntum khayru ummatan ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna 'anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah and prophet muhammad prayers and peace be upon him and his family also stated the best people are those whom are most beneficial to the people khayru nas anfa'uhum linnas the best of people are those who are the most beneficial to the people the united states of america as a social political entity was birthed in protest beginning with the slogan no taxation without representation and the famous boston tea party within the founding of this union the idea of separation of church and state meant that no singular religious interpretation should be enforced by the government nor any singular faith should be mandated to hold citizenship this land from its inception made itself theoretically theoretically very important open for differences of religious interpretation, including no religion, for members of the society whom actively and passively shape it. Hence, America was founded as a secular republic that laid the foundation for non-religious and even anti-religious principles and movements to have space for expression, growth, and propagation. So, you know, it's a, it's a dunya wasia, as you'd say, a dunya wasia. It's, a, it's an open field. Liberalism, a secular worldview born out of Western Europe, provided such space for democratic, democratic allowance for values and liberties to be put up for vote and educated in courts of law. It was a radical departure from much of the history of Western civilization, much less the history of Islamic societies stretching from the prophetic period to the Malian Empire to the reign of the Ottomans. Liberalism, however, was an important guiding facet within the society to undo the once legal U.S. shadow slavery system through the uh, abolitionist movement. Likewise, white women who were not granted the right to vote were able to do so through the efforts of the women's suffrage movement, now dubbed as first wave feminism. 
Christian religious arguments during these eras supported and advocated against both movements, the former being more religiously based than the latter. So all he's saying is that liberalism kind of created some space, even though it's it's a break from what much of history was for the West, as well as, of course, for the Muslim lands. And yet it provided space to undo some of the issues that were existing in American society. And that both of those movements that are mentioned, the anti-slavery movement or the abolitionist movement and the women's suffrage movement, were movements where religious arguments were used on both sides, for and against. And the first of the two, it was more common in than the latter. You have to have tea at the Majlis. Sorry, I can't make you any. Mm. Alhamdulillah, what a blessing. Boston Tea Party, notwithstanding, we still drink tea in America. At least for, uh, you know, it's funny actually, one time I was talking to, I won't say who, but uh, an older, let's just leave it, how can I leave it broad enough, an older African American man, and he was saying, we don't drink tea in America unless you're sick. Right, like in America, we don't drink tea unless the person's sick. If they're sick, you give them tea. Otherwise, it's coffee. And uh, I was thinking, like, there's probably a story behind that. And it's and then we read right now the Boston Tea Party, and I was like, hmm, that's probably part of the story. That, uh, and I'm accustomed to tea because of, of course, the Pakistani side, but also the Canadian side, because you know British influence. Anyways, <coughs> similar movements under the banner of social justice born out of this secular space have recently been working towards social political change. Currently, these movements are in the process of redefining what was once seen as immoral to be moral and vice versa by changing societal attitudes, applying political pressure and seeking to change laws from shaping legislation to filing lawsuits. In several instances, these movements on the surface address legitimate grievances and seek to provide remedies for social political problems or perceived oppression. So these are movements, you know, these movements are going. Some we might agree with, some we might not agree with, but they're still movements and uh, they still exist. And they still call to kind of like the same concepts, right? There's some sort of perceived oppression, some sort of social political problem that is trying to be addressed. Sorry, the tea is like at the optimal temperature right now, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, it's like a small window in, in, the, in the cup of tea where it's like not too hot anymore, but it's hot enough that you can still enjoy it. <laughs> Consequently, Muslims are confronted with a wide array of issues framed rightly or wrongly within the confines of social justice issues in America, like I was just saying. There is the environmental justice movement, the racial justice movement, which for some includes the prison abolitionist movement and the gender equality movement, just to name a few. For varying reasons, which I will not elucidate on, which are worthy of books on the wise, there is a profound confusion among many Muslims across generations on how to address issues articulated by these secularly formed movements. Should we be engaged in them at all? And if so, to what extent? So he's saying that's a bigger question. Each one of them could probably have its own discourse but what he's trying to do here oh, actually he's going to say that so I, I shouldn't say it for him towards sacred activism is an attempt at providing concise general guidance to Muslims in the West regarding engagement in social justice activism from an Islamic perspective so this is the goal the goal again is an attempt at providing concise general guidance to Muslims in the West regarding engagement in social justice activism from an Islamic perspective so this is the issue Right. How do we engage with these things? And coming from a perspective that is within our religious tradition. I do not profess that the brief contents within are the sole authority on this issue, nor do I believe that this work should go uncritiqued. It is but an attempt to present some general parameters and reminders based upon fundamental aspects of Islam, drawn from our rich tradition which focus on building and supporting model life for all of Allah's creation, humans being the priority. It is a call for us to reach back to our sound interpretive traditions based upon the Book of Allah 
the prophetic tradition, and those matters which the early community of Muslims and subsequent scholars have agreed upon per consensus to address social issues, social justice issues in our current social political context. I'm going to have to come back to some of these things. It is also a challenge for us to not only rethink current secular notions within activist circles per positions and methods of advocating and organizing around such, but to also encourage us to bring forth our own nomenclature in tackling issues worthy of being taken on. This is to avoid us being unknowingly trapped in boxes of others' phrases and slogans which have embedded worldviews containing aspects which are opposed to and at times hostile towards prophetic sacred law. So I think we kind of touched on that a little bit last time, the idea of language and um, the impact of language, right? Um, And how important it is to think critically about that. So let me go back. First and foremost, I do not profess that this is the, like, all-ending authority in the field. The nature of ideas is such that they have to be developed. SubhanAllah, you know, if you're not the Prophet ﷺ, you are not functioning from revelation. When we're not functioning directly from revelation, we we take wisdom from wherever we can get it. Some of it is inspired. Um... But how do we come to conclusions as human beings is through some level of consensus building and discussion and conversation and debate. And, um, you know, that's something that oftentimes, and this is actually a point of how a lot of times, like when in my generation of people, how did you see younger Muslims become more engaged in Islam? Was that they had some sort of gathering where they could actually engage ideas and talk to each other and go back and forth and debate things. And usually that was in like a small halaqa of maybe six people, seven people. They met in people's homes and they meet every week. And so like over time you start to hash out ideas, you start to fine tune things. It's a little bit harder to do that, obviously, on a live stream. It's hard to do it. It doesn't have the same experience. Um, In person is easier than online, but... Nonetheless, the point is, uh, he's not saying this is the end all. And it takes courage, subhanAllah, to write one of the early uh, contributions to a topic. Because the topic itself, I mean, like, it's not an easy topic to address, right? Um, I believe it was, what year is this? When did they have the MSA West Conference at Riverside? Does anyone remember what year that was? When did you guys have Riverside? 2016. 2016? And Imam Dawood was one of the speakers that year. And I think we talked about it in the parking lot, that he was working on this and he was going to publish it. And then uh, this was 2018. So you see, like, time goes into it, you know. Even even a small work, time goes into it, thinking about it, discussing with people, and trying to come to some sort of presentation. And then knowing, like Imam Shafi, he said, you know, nothing is perfect except for Allah. So... Anything that's written by a human being is going to have some sort of error in it. Uh, that's a paraphrase, by the way. But anything that's written by a human being is going to have some sort of error in it. So he's saying this is a contribution. It's going to have to be worked through. It's going to have to be discussed. So that's number one. Number two is... Um, what are we, what are we working from the Book of Allah, the prophetic tradition... Uh, and this, he says, those matters which the early community of Muslims and subsequent scholars have agreed upon per consensus. So is the Quran, the Sunnah, and Jama'ah, as as we talked about in the previously Monday night class when we were doing an intro to Islamic legal theory. These are the four. These are the three major foundations of the legal theory, right? The Quran, the Sunnah, and the consensus. So we want to look at what does the Quran say? What does the Sunnah say? What does the consensus say? What was the practice of people before? And help that, bring that to bear on questions of social justice. Um, and then, of course, that's going to lead us to be critical about the engagements that we have and also hopefully to push us to come up with our own nomenclature, he says. So we're not trapped in other people's words. And we're not stuck. Um, being stuck in other people's words is difficult. 2016, yeah. Okay. Uh, 
So Maya, can you remind me? You can just put it in the chat box. Where where are you? Like which school? And Salman also, so I can remember. Faraz, it's good to see you. <coughs> to this end, towards sacred activism, seeks to recenter our focus towards what is most pleasing to Allah, mighty and sublime. Hmm. And to work for the common good with the conviction that we shall meet him one day and will have to answer for all that we did, including what we advocated for and defended. In the end, we're all going back to Allah. We're all going back to Allah. Ya Rabbi, I know. MashaAllah. Somebody, yeah. You see Davis. Yeah. We're all going back to Allah and we have to, we, we will be asked, you know, the positions we took. Um... And this is why, you know, there's, I think, a misunderstanding sometimes around the idea of silence. That sometimes people will, will not speak on certain things. They'll be silent. First of all, we have to be careful with assumptions. You know, we might assume something or other. It's not necessarily the case. Some, someone can be silent about an issue for so many different reasons. Right? They could just be busy. They could have not really thought about it that much. They could have a personal issue going on. They could, maybe they just don't know that topic. Or maybe it's just unclear to them what position to take. And so they're being conservative and not taking a position, right? Because they know that they're going to be in front of Allah. Um, but there's so many different possibilities. Um, there's actually a principle in, in the legal, legal theories, legal maxims, um, that, you know, you don't attribute a statement to some... You don't attribute a position to someone who's silent. Okay. However, there is another principle that's very important, which is a, a sukut fi in, in different ways. A sukut fi bayan bayan. That someone who stays silent at a time when a clarification is, is necessary, uh, you know, it's the time for a clarification, then that's considered speech. So, you know, the, in, in a totally Western context, Islamic law aside, when people are getting married and they say, if anyone has an objection, speak now or forever hold your peace. It's like, you didn't speak, that's your statement. You, 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 didn't, that's, you, you made a statement in not speaking at that moment. Uh, when to do that and when not to, maybe there's probably some room for interpretation there, like to consider it a time when there's spe a speech is necessary. Um, marriage is one of those times Like say a woman Doesn't actually want to marry the person That her family is setting her up with But she doesn't say anything She just goes along with it And they marry her off to the person Well like you should have said something That was a time to say something You have the right by the sharia to say something Say something So anyways why am I saying this uh, I'm not really sure Ah uh, we'll be have to answer for the things that we ag advocated for and defended. Some of these issues are very complex and people are sometimes very busy. So they don't have the chance to like really come to a conclusion the way that maybe they would want to in a particular case, right? Like maybe in order for me to, hypothetical me, to come to a conclusion, I need to read XYZ, I need to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then I need to think about it some more, and then I need to talk to some more people, and then I need to make a istikhara, and then like maybe you come to a conclusion on how you feel about a particular issue. That's not always easy to do, you know, and on top of it, there may be, again, other reasons. So, especially for young people, I see, used to see this a lot, like in, in MSA days, a lot of assumptions on people's positions. Iyaka iyaka wadhan. You know, be careful. Uh, making assumptions on people's positions is not good. You have to be very careful with that. Um, and we often do this because, like, the way our mind works, right? Our mind likes to group things. So we group, like, in our American Muslim kind of, like, space is not really that diverse, at least in most people's eyes. 
I think it actually is, but we look at it like there's this group and there's this group and there's this group. And if you're with these people, then you, you hold all of these positions. It's like the Republicans and Democrats, right? Like if you're in this camp, you hold all these positions. And if you're in this camp, you hold all these positions. And, you know, that's it. There's more to it than that. Anyways, may Allah forgive me for any shortcomings in this short book. May he forgive you and all the Muslims, for he is the oft-forgiving, the merciful redeemer. Allahumma ameen. Very good. Bismillah. So, next section. Next section. What is justice? So, if you I mean, this is the primary question, right? It's oftentimes people don't like to deal with the philosophical questions that underpin everything else. Because it's easier to just assume that we're all functioning from some sort of commonly held universal truth. Um, and just like everyone's on the same page We all know what justice is Well do you really know what justice is? Let's like pick at it a little bit I had a really good book on that I think someone borrowed it and it never came back um, It was called Justice I don't know if anyone's ever seen it I got it in Barnes & Noble or something Do you think it's appropriate to ask people their position On very specific issues such as leaders and scholars? <sighs> Sometimes um, I think it depends on the relationship And I, I don't think it's right to ask people questions As a ikhtibar As like a test But If someone's a public figure And you want to know what their position is On something It's not unreasonable to ask them their position You know They might say I don't Even if they say You know what I don't really feel comfortable talking about that Fine, they can say that. Like, but but you're in public life. You don't get to, <laughs> you, you don't you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. Like, I'm I'm kind of strict on some of these things, where it's like, well, I don't really, I'm not gonna share my opinion on it. Well, you're standing every single week and speaking to hundreds of people, and you're posting things on Facebook all the time, and now when I ask you a question, I can't ask you a question, like. You can't have it both ways, you know And there's, again, there's many ways You could say, I don't feel like speaking about that You could say, I don't think it's the right time to discuss that You could say, that's a little bit personal It's my I, I look at it as, as, as a personal issue So I don't really want to talk about it Whatever it might be But, um, it, yeah, I think it's gener it's probably generally okay I think that sometimes people shy away from it And get defensive and stuff like that Because a lot of times when people ask questions, they're trying to set you up. So, it's like, you know, even in the time of Abu Hanifa, that was an issue. Like, there were people who wanted to do takfir on him, and they would come to him and they would ask him questions that, if he answered in a particular way, basically they would say that he's a kafir. They're like these trick questions. He's, he's a kafir if he answers it this way, and he can't answer it the other way, so he's stuck. So Abu Hanifa would always have, like, these tricky ways of getting out of it. I can't remember any of the stories right now, but there's some really good ones. Um, he was really, really uh, clever in that way. Um, this is not a takfir one, but there was, an, for example, like one of the rulers wanted him to be the judge, take a judge position, and he said, "He said la asluh, la asluh. I'm not. I don't have the qualifications, basically, right?" Out of his humility, and uh, you know, it, he he believes that out of his humility, he's la yuslah. Uh, or maybe out of like just his relationship with the government and stuff like that, la yuslah. And there's many different interpretations of why he could have said that, right? But the ruler's response to it was kadabt. He's like, type, then la yuslah. The ruler said, you lie, and you know, you've lied in saying that. And he said, well, if I lied, then it's true that I don't qualify. <laughs> like, I just told you I don't qualify. Either it's true and I don't qualify, or it's not true and I'm a liar and I don't qualify. So, and <laughs> Abu Hanifa was, you know, tricky like that. Anyways, many different ways you can answer things. Bismillah, what is justice? So there are, this is a bigger question, right? Like, what is justice? What is good? What is bad? This is one of the core questions in Muslim theology. The question of التحسين والتقبيح العقليان. The question of 
considering something to be good and considering or considering something to be bad or ugly by the intellect is it even possible it's a huge question in islamic theology and um basically sunni islam took the position that you can't really fully do it with your own intellect so there was like there is a dependency on revelation we can't just say uh, I think this is good and someone else is going to have a different opinion on whether or not it's good and you're just going to go back and forth so at some point revelation is the deciding factor so what is justice is a similar it's similar in that sense because you're going to get very different answers to that question generally Islamic law will um, define justice well he's going to get into that actually I'll leave that Writers within the Islamic scholarly tradition in their wisdom have dealt with subject matter in a method methodical fashion. When elucidating on issues, the norm has been to define terminology from the outset before delving into specifics. Whether scholars or students of knowledge agree or disagree with the conclusions of traditionalists on those issues, giving linguistic and functional definitions of terms provides foundations as to what is meant by certain nomenclature within the elaborator's discourses. Hence, when discussing Islamic parameters for social justice activism, it is useful to follow this Islamic tradition by explaining how justice is understood before understanding how to advocate for it. So before we can talk about how we're going to advocate for justice, we have to understand what it is. This is pretty straightforward, right? But we have to actually understand what it is. And in doing so, probably recognize that we might be functioning from a different set of definitions um, than, the, uh, than the people that we're dealing with are functioning from. They might have a different definition of justice, right? Even though we're going to see here. Linguistic definition of justice. According to the Oxford Dictionary, justice is defined as the quality of being fair or reasonable and can relate to the administration of law and authority in maintaining it. Its etymology derives from Latin and relates to righteousness, uprightness, and equity. Justice is associated with the term just, meaning to be morally right and fair. Justice, or adl, al-adl, or al-adala, usually al-adl, but adala can also be used. In Arabic, carries relative closeness in meaning. As people commonly come to know the meanings of things by their opposites, Ar-Razi begins by defining justice as being the opposite of oppression or tyranny, which derives from deviation or encroachment. A direct initial meaning of justice in Arabic is also equality. Moreover, justice has a relationship to something being tantamount or corresponding to another. So he's gonna. This is gonna be developed. This whole chapter is on this question, right? So it's only a couple pages. Functional definition of justice. I, 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 there's things I have a kind of like inclination to say, but I have a feeling they're gonna come. So I'm just not gonna say them right now. Functional definition of justice. Several scholars of old, including the Shafi'i polymath Al Bayhaqi stated that justice, al-adl, is one of the beautiful names of Allah, mighty and sublime. Allah, mighty and sublime, is the one who put all created things within their proper places. This is one of the common definitions. Is, uh, you know, to put something in its proper place. It's also almost the same definition that's used for wisdom. So, both of them have to do with this concept of putting things in their proper place, at a proper measure. When matters operate within their general parameters as Allah made them to operate in, those matters are justly balanced. Likewise, as defined by many scholars such as Al-Raghib Al-Asfahani or Al-Asfahani, wrongness or oppression, Al-Zulm, exist when things are placed in other than their specified positions. So you see this kind of idea developing here. Allah mentions this balance of matters being within their correct places in the universe in Surah Al-Rahman. This is in very famous verses around this are in Surah Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahman, the, ben, the merciful benefactor, he who taught the Qur'an, he who created the human, taught him eloquence, 
The sun and the moon move by precise calculation. The star and the star and the tree prostrate. Ashamsu and and Actually, did he take this translation from somewhere? And Nejim here is not star, as far as I can recall. Let's see. This is Surah Al-Rahman, verse number 6. Surah Al-Rahman, verse number 6. So let's see. Close my rocket stoves. It's not 55, is it? Yeah, 55, okay. The stars and the trees bow down in submission. This is not the best way to find the meaning of something, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, where is this? Choose translations. Let's go with Abdul Halim. Let's go with... Sahih International, they're usually very literal. Yeah. And the stars and trees prostrate, the plants and the trees submit to his designs. Uh, this is not sufficient for me. And Najamu Washajaru. Yes, Judan. Let's see. This is usually Ibn Kathir Al-Tabari Okay See what Al-Tabari said اختلف أهل سهل في معنى النجم في هذا الموضع مع إجماعهم على أن الشجر ما قاموا على الساق قال بعضهم عني بالنجم في هذا الموضع من النبات ما النجم من العدي مما ينبسط عليه ولم يكن على الساق مثل باقل ونحوي ذكر من قال ذلك Okay ذكر من قال آخرون من النجم في هذا الموضع نجم السماء Oh So there's خلاف Okay ماشي So Uh, Ali ibn Abbas, uh, Saeed ibn Jubair, probably, uh, and others. Okay, so anyways, there's a difference of opinion. We don't have to get into too much. Meshi, it's fine. We'll let it go. Some people said Najm here is star. Some people said it's not a star, but like a bush, basically. The Ashajar is the tr is the plant that has. Uh, a trunk and a Najm is the plant that doesn't have a trunk so it kind of like works with the Najm wa-shajru yasjudan you know that anyways manish the star and the star and the tree prostrate and the sky was raised and given balance that you do not transgress the balance and that you establish the measure of justice and do not decrease the balance and do not decrease the balance so this balance talk here is related to Adan. وَالسَّمَاءَ رَفَعَهَا وَوَضَعَ الْمِيزَانَ أَلَّا تَتَغَوْ فِي الْمِيزَانَ وَأَقِيمُ الْوَزْنَ بِالْقِسْتِ وَلَا تُخْسِرُ الْمِيزَانَ So these are the verses there. The sky was raised and given balance. Everything was given balance. That you do not transgress it. And that you establish measure with justice and do not decrease the balance. So this is part of the role of the human being is to not upset the correct balance that Allah put in the creation which unfortunately we tend to upset Allah forgive us but the Sharia if properly followed would prevent from such transgressions Allah mighty and sublime also provides another sign in this regard when saying praise be to Allah who has created the heavens and the earth and made levels of darkness and light then those who disbelieve make equals with their Lord. So he's again put this balance. Those who make equals with their Lord are those who replace belief with disbelief or those who take matters outside of their properly set places and commit wrong or injustice by violating their specified parameters. Allah is also known as the truth, al-haqq. The true reality of all things including what is right is fully known by Allah. Moreover, it is he who is the doer of what is correct and wrote for it rightness. Thus, the ultimate signs, ultimate rights, 
that are given to human beings were bestowed through divine providence, such rights being extended to human beings from other than themselves as a position articulated by political theorists and philosophers other than Muslims as well. So, who is it that gives the rights? It's from Allah. Allah is the one who gives rights. Allah is the legislator. In an hukmu illa lillah. In an hukmu illa lillah. That only Allah has the right to legislate. Only Allah has the right to make firm rules, right? Allah is the one who dictates where do you get what you get, where do you not get what you get, uh, what you don't get, and so on. One such theoretical articulation which was far in proximity from practice in his time was by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence which stated, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Which was, of course, far from proximity, far in proximity from practice in his time, but there's some truth to it. Uh, trying to oh, that wasn't somewhere else. It wasn't in one of the Medjus classes, but this, you know, Jefferson was influenced by Locke and it seems very likely that Locke was influenced by Muslim thinkers Uh, but in any case hence the measure of justice in society whether relating to structural issues or among individuals has a metaphysical foundation within Islam justice in society conforms with matters and world being centered upon transcendent truths which are applicable based within the context of specific times and places as Al-Asbahani noted, justice carries two meanings. One derives from a legal aspect which comes from divine legislation, while also understood as what ensures goodness or beautiful uh, in society based upon agreement from sound intellect. This is his one of the definitions. Let me go back. Derives from a legal aspect which comes from divine legislation, while also understood as what ensures goodness or beauty in society based upon agreement from sound intellect. So... It's what Allah uh, commands, and what Allah commands is known to be good and beautiful uh, to those with sound intellect. To those with sound intellect, could be that someone doesn't think it's beautiful, but it's not that everyone has sound intellect. It's not that everyone is thinking properly. Uh, some, you know, if someone doesn't even have an understanding of the idea of the necessity of purifying the soul. How can you actually trust any any position that they have? I know this is an extreme thing to say, but this is kind of like what we believe. How can you trust the person? Ibn Hayyan, the great chemist, early Muslim chemist, he prefaced his scientific work with a chapter on purification of the soul. Because he's saying, if you are not, if one is not engaged in the process of purifying their soul, then they cannot make claims to objectivity. They're not going to be able to be objective because their nafs is going to get in the way. And if you know, if we start looking for this, we'll see it all over the place. Like that was a nafsi, that was a nafsi conclusion. Uh, so with sound intellect, when people are afforded their God-given rights and the facilitation to use those rights is implemented accordingly. There will be relative justice in society. Of course, there is no such possibility of a postmodern utopia on earth, and full justice will only be seen in the next life. This is an important theological concept also. Right? Like, yeah, we believe in justice, and we have ways that we think about that. Uh, primarily, that there's a creator, and that that creator has a say in what is just and what is unjust. But also we recognize that in the grand scheme of worldly affairs, it may be the case that we don't see justice in our lifetime. That can happen. Ultimate justice will occur in the next life. Okay, ultimate justice will occur in the next life. Uh, Doesn't mean we just give up on things, but we recognize that. Moreover, the measure of what justice looks like is not simply derived from the feelings of people or the winds of public opinion. 
Unalienable rights should not be firstly measured by what is popular or unpopular according to trends, nor left to the tyranny of the majority, through pub though public sentiment should be considered. People may perceive certain matters to be non-necessities that, that are in fact human rights endowed by the Creator. Malcolm X, may Allah sanctify his spirit. Uh, thus made the distinction between human rights, those given by God, and civil rights, those given or taken away by governments. Conversely, persons can redefine other matters to be human rights, which in fact are not God-given. Feelings of entitlement to certain rights may or may not jibe with divine order. Emotions in and of themselves do not constitute correctness or incorrectness relating to rights. This point will be discussed later with specific examples. That is a hard one to swallow today. Because the way the common perception of things is that whatever I feel is right. And it's not necessarily the case that whatever you feel is right. My feelings don't always matter. My feelings are not always sound. My feelings can have any number of different motivators. Yeah. I won't get into details, but there was something that happened earlier today, and I felt a particular way. And I told my wife, and I was like, it has nothing to do with you. This is just shaitan. Like there's no it's just shaitan I don't have to actually pay attention to it I don't have to think that it's true you know imagine like the, the tyranny of the nafs if, and shaitan if you think that everything you feel is true that's insanity it'll make you crazy you know I, I told a sheikh that I, I read with sometimes recently I told him every single time we have class before the class I feel really bad inside about the class and I don't want to come Every single time we have class. And uh, and I said, and then as soon as I come, it all goes away and everything's fine and wonderful and I'm so happy that I'm there and everything else, right? This is shaitan. Shaitan, sometimes when you're going to do something that's really good, shaitan gets in the way. So it's give you, like making you feel all sorts of things. Those things are not necessarily true or right or correct or anything else. It's not how we judge. Same thing with justice. Because I feel like it's just isn't sufficient. Because I feel like it's unjust isn't sufficient. It may be true. It's not necessarily the case that we have to ignore it. But it's not sufficient to come to a conclusion. Um, unalienable, unalienable rights should not be firstly measured by what is popular or unpopular according to trends. This now is a big problem. It's always a big problem because what's popular or unpopular usually has something to do with money. And it's not necessarily the case that people are corrupt. Maybe they don't really care for money, but they want their institution to run. They want their project to succeed so they can help people, whatever it might be. But all of that is subjected to popular opinion then. And um, that is not a good method for certain things, for certain things. Um, social media and stuff is very similar, right? Like we're competing in the economy for people's attention. So if I want to gain people's attention, then I do what they're going to be excited about. Not necessarily what they probably should do, or anything like that what the big consideration is are they going to be excited about it or not which is not reasonable right like that's not generally how things were done um, you know you you go to a teacher you go to someone and you know you learn what they think you should learn of course you have some independent agency and stuff but the decision is not made just off the whims of the people um, it kind of reminds me of like the follies of democracy sometimes even. Uh, this is a really controversial thing to say. But, you know, there's, we, we have shura. Dem could democracy be a sort of re uh, a model that falls within the greater framework of shura? Sure, could be. But, you know, it has limitations. Like basically whoever has the most money and the most time is going to come out on top a lot of the times. Because they just have the most money and the most time. Um, 
sometimes people might have an like this is how it used to happen sometimes in organizations right before the elections all these new members show up it's like all year round you didn't have anything to do with the organization but now they show up when it's time to vote because they're going to vote for whatever they feel like and change everything right well what is that that doesn't make any sense You mentioned that justice does not have to happen in this world. It could be that justice is established only in the next life. It is that absolute and true justice is only established in the next life. How does, but that doesn't, yeah, we'll keep going. How does one keep fighting for justice when it seems not not to be successful? When the chances of justice resulting seem really low and impractical, should one still continue to fight for it? Yes, the key here is the why the key here is the why of course there's a why related to fighting for injustice that has to do with alleviating people's hardships and creating a better order in the world and so on and so forth why's in that realm but the big why for fighting injustice is for Allah because that is what I'm supposed to do supposed to do as a servant of Allah. And so even if it doesn't seem like there is um, uh, even if it doesn't seem like it's possible for my cause to succeed, it doesn't you know Laysa Anullahi Biaziz. Allah can do whatever he wants and I do it for Allah. If Allah deems for it to happen in my lifetime, it happens in my lifetime. If He doesn't, it doesn't. You know, um, if there's if if the odds seem insurmountable, whatever. You know, we believe in Allah. Uh, uh, what is the verse? الذين إذا قيل لهم إن الناس قد جمعوا لكم فخشوهم uh, I don't know, I might be mixing up verses But basically the group of people Who when it was said to them Look how great the the enemy are in numbers The enemy is so great in numbers فخشوهم, So fear them and, they, and, and that didn't increase them anything Except in iman and in forbearance وَقَالُوا حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلُ they said, Hasbunallah wa ni'man Allah is sufficient for us. He's the best disposer of affairs. Khalas. That's it. You know, the odds are the odds. You know, story of um, uh, Dawood alayhi salam in Surah Al-Baqarah is very important. Right? That when the army goes out with Dawood, very few, uh, f- first of all, not that many go. And then they get to the river and he tells them, you know, don't take anything from the river except a little bit. So actually most of them still drank more than they were supposed to. So they end up a smaller, smaller, smaller number. And finally this number of people, it was like, how are you going to face this army? And they were just like, believe in Allah. And Dawood killed Jalut and khalas, it was done. How do we learn to trust our gut if we can't always trust our feelings because some of them are from shaitan? That's a really good question. So in all matters of Islam, Aqidah, Fiqh and Tasawwuf Or Islam, Iman and Ihsan Or however words you want to use We try not to argue over words here But basically you have the mental And you have the physical And you have the spiritual faculties So the Aqidah side of things will tell us In some ways it's an Aqidah issue That we have inspirations that come from various places. They can come from an angel, can come from myself, it can come from shaitan. These are sources of things that we believe in the world. Um, the fiqh will tell us like what is halal and what is haram, right? Like the sharia has to be the guiding point. So like sometimes I have a gut feeling, but it goes against the sharia. 
Sometimes I have a gut feeling some of you may have seen my Facebook post today. I feel that it's a very important one because here's an example. Sometimes you have a gut feeling. Say for example, you have a gut feeling that you don't trust somebody. Okay? I don't really trust that person. The amount of that that would go against the Sharia would be to conclude from that 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 person is untrustworthy and they're bad. That would go against the Sharia. What wouldn't go against the Sharia would be to say, I don't really feel so good about that person. I'm going to suspend judgment on them. I'm not going to go one way or the other. I'm not going to assume they're a great person. I'm not going to assume they're a bad person. I'm not going to make any judgment at all. I'm just going to suspend it. Right? So that's it. So this doesn't go against. So in this case, I've listened to my gut, but I haven't allowed my gut to take me past the Sharia limit. So this is the first point is that the Sharia puts certain limits and borders around that help us to discipline that feeling itself. The third and more important one is the realm of Ihsan, which is that if one takes their spiritual development very seriously, um, and that is going to relate to them getting to know themselves, getting to understand themselves, paying attention to their heart, um, over time, the person can have higher level of accuracy in discerning what's coming from where. Or at least being able to tell, okay, this doesn't seem sound, and this does. You know, sometimes sometimes the, the gut, quote-unquote. Khawatir, in the, in the books of spirituality, they'll say that there's arba'atu khawatir. There's four types of whisperings in the in the in the self one of them comes from allah inspiration one of them comes from the angels one of them comes from shaitan and one of them comes from the nafs so when your gut is telling you something it could actually be any of these sources so how do we determine which one is which again we follow the sharia uh, that gives us guidelines and then over time we pay attention we be careful about our conclusions Especially when we're first starting to like notice it. Sometimes we might notice it. Now, other times we might notice, you know what? I, I didn't pay attention to my gut feeling on this and I should have. And later on we look at it and we feel like, oh, that was a mistake. I felt something and I should have actually uh, done something about it. Whatever that might, might have been. But basically the answer to this question is to follow the sharia and to engage in serious spiritual development so that we can understand better what is going on with ourselves. Um, I'm going to stop here because this is the end you know that's the end of the chapter so it's a good place to start next time chapter of the obligation of social justice activism obligation of social justice activism should be a fun section inshallah if you have any other questions feel free we have a few minutes still um, if you have any questions anything you would like to point out or discuss or disagree with or whatever it might be I'm actually going to what's the name of the book the book is called Towards Sacred Activism Towards Sacred Activism by Imam Dawood we need So can you guys see that straight? It does. And the name is right now on your side too. Because it flipped on mine now. Is the name still right on your side? SubhanAllah. It looked like there was a, a lag and then it, it must have flipped afterwards. Yeah. Imam Dawood was happy that we were doing this. He made a post about it on Facebook. Uh, it's nice. Anything? Any observations? Questions? Anything?
Last week you talked about how it's often easier to start a new community with new principles as opposed to fight deeply ingrained things in an existing community. How does this new community deal with tensions with the original community? <coughs> well, <coughs> this is a tricky, tricky topic, you know. Um... Sometimes I feel like it's the tyranny of the masses, you know? Like, if uh, if people would just submit to what they need to submit to, <laughs> you wouldn't have these issues. You could change things. <sighs> but you have crazy things in the community. Like one of the imams, he was teaching Ash'ari Aqidah, which in and of itself is like a question mark to people now for Islam in America which is insanity but you know he was teaching the Ash'ari a, a, a very well known text in the Ash'ari Madhab and Aqidah um, this isn't the place to discuss these things so much but you know in just like we have Madhabs similar I shouldn't say just like similar to how we have Madhabs in Fiqh we have essentially Madhabs and Aqidah um, and the three that are representative of Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah are the approach of Imam al-Ash'ari and Imam al-Maturidi and Imam Ahmed uh, from the four Imams, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. So these are like the three major schools of Aqidah that are part of Sunni uh, orthodoxy. In any case, he was teaching this text and uh, any Ash'ari and Maturidi Aqidah text is going to start with a what are called I mean, be careful, the attributes of negation. Maybe I'll say it that way. A direct translation of it would be the negative attributes. Okay? So you say that Allah uh, is has the attributes of qidam and baqa and mukhalafatun hawadith and al-wahdaniya and al-ghina. So he has qualities of no beginning, no end, no similarities, no partners, um, no need, right? All of these are no's. So they're attributes of negation or they're as-sifat as-salbiyya, which are as-sifat as-salbiyya, which are the negative attributes, right? So the imam was teaching the class and, you know, this he's teaching from the text that is the for a long time the main aqidah text in Al-Azhar. So one of the people in the masjid who's like a regular in the masjid, they got up and he basically called the imam a kafir. Because how are you saying that Allah has negative attributes? You know? It's like, I'm a sheikh, just understand the English language far enough and the Arabic language long enough to understand what's being said before you call someone a kafir. Like these are negative attributes in the sense that they negate not in the sense that they are bad, right? Astaghfirullah, of course, we can't say that. A'udhu billah, we can't say something like that. But like, this is the tyranny of the masses. The person comes and they teach a text that actually nobody has taught here locally, as far as I know. It's a really important text. And uh, he got takfird on, you know, by a masjid regular. So how do you change stuff like that? And it's like, it's really hard. And then those are the people who are there all the time and they're talking all the time. And you can't kick them out because that's also part of our culture and the, the masajid generally is that we can't kick people out, which I think is a huge mistake. We should be able to kick people out of masajid. Otherwise, you have big problems. Um, then, you know, so how do you deal with the tension? Basically, by loving and serving people and not being, um, you know, love the people, serve the people. Don't 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 let shaitan make such divisions. Just because we need to start uh, an independent space in order to establish certain culture, certain ideas, or whatever, it's fine. But that doesn't mean that we have uh, an issue with people, right? Everyone's still believers. Everyone we still love one another. Still want to support one another, 
and we have to push through these things. Sometimes shaitan has put some tension and we focus on the things that are shared. You know, um, people still have rights over other people and we're still brothers and sisters. Yeah. So you just push through it. Relationships, everything is relational. I, I you know, I, I very much believe that all of da'wah and all of Islam and teaching Islam and everything else is essentially relational. That it, it depends greatly on the relationships and that building the relationships, investing in the relationships, uh, nurturing them, caring for them is extremely important. And uh, if we don't, then they deteriorate oftentimes between the, between the nafs and shaitan and everything else. Things deteriorate. Allahu alam. Khair, inshallah we'll, we'll stop here and we'll, we'll continue next week. Barakallahu fikum. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us and forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings and make us from a shakirin. Allah make us from those who are grateful. Now and tomorrow and the day after and always, inshallah. Allahumma ameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.